Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun and formal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. Did you watch the movie The Central Park Five? No. Do you remember when this was in the news in the 1980s, there was a woman maybe 30-some-year-old woman that was jogging in Central Park, and she was brutally beaten up and raped by these young kids, supposedly this group of African-American kids. And I remember Donald Trump called for their prosecution, and they were like 14 years old, Mm. young kids. But there had been groups of young African-American kids who had been going through Central Park, and it came down to these five kids. And I remember when it was in the media, and they were just all just falsely accused. I mean, and they got confused. Some of them admitted they were under pressure. 14-year-old brains. And this Central Park Five movie just came out. I mean, it was maybe a series of four or five movies on Netflix. It was like like last year. Hmm. And definitely worth watching. And then it followed where they are now. And they, I think they were all exonerated. But one of the kids was slightly older and he went to adult and the other, I mean, their lives were ruined. Ruined, ruined, ruined made me really think a lot about how we view innocence and at what point do we assume someone is innocent. We have kids that under certain circumstances, they are tried as adults and for other crimes, they're tried as children. That has nothing to do with the development of the actual person. I mean, no, doesn't, doesn't it usually just have to do with the crime? It has to do more with the crime and yeah. what state and and whether they were accused of other things and all kinds of things that really have nothing to do with the physical and emotional and intellectual development of a human brain, of a right. human being. And that leads me to the curiosity bite. Mm. If babies are innocent, at what point are people not innocent? It would depend on I think, what they're innocent of. Well, I mean, if you're thinking of a baby, a baby poops their pants, <laughs> that's not... They are guilty of bad They're hygiene. innocent still. But yeah, I mean, but if you're 17 and you poop your pants, then you are guilty of bad hygiene and bad choices. <laughs> Unless you have a developmental problem. Right. Then you're innocent. And that's when you are, you know, you get your what to expect when you're expecting. And you know your baby's innocent. And anything that they do, you would never attribute to malice or you never attribute to ill behavior, you know, bad behavior, or even bad parenting and tiny little baby. You know, Heaven you would, forbid. You would never. And then you follow along what to expect when they're expecting and you they follow along the milestones. And if they don't meet those milestones, at a certain point, you think there's something wrong. If they behave, if human beings behave in ways that are kind of outside of the norm, we think that there's something wrong. Maybe we get them help. Maybe they need special services. But at some point, we stop looking at them, society stops looking at these humans as someone who needs help and starts looking at them as someone who has something wrong with them, who is a burden, 
is making wrong choices. They're now guilty. They're now guilty. Mm-hmm. Now, but innocence, innocent isn't an, is, is an adjective that describes someone or something that is not harmful or at least doesn't cause harm on purpose. We don't really ask whether a 14-year-old causes harm on purpose or not. We would just assume that an average 14-year-old that causes harm is doing it on purpose. But what about 13? What well, about- I mean, aren't teenagers' brains not fully developed yet? So, But we don't consider that. It's not just teenagers' brains. I mean, we look at the... if We, we get into the neurophysiology of the brain, but to start with the idea of innocent. We mm-hmm. think of innocent until proven guilty. But it doesn't mean that someone who is accused of a crime and who's and is absolved of that crime is innocent because... When you go through a trial, you're innocent until proven guilty. But at the end of the crime, at the end of the trial, you're not innocent. You're just not guilty. Right. And not guilty is not the same as innocent because you could be guilty, but there wasn't there was like not enough evidence or there was reasonable doubt. It's weird because you go into an accusation of a crime as innocent until proven guilty and you come out either guilty or not guilty. Right. But you don't come out with your innocence intact. Right. And then we don't really look at what it means physiologically to be innocent or guilty, but we do. So take this situation where maybe a 14-year-old kid, like these kids that were accused of the the Central Park Five, and imagine they're 12, and then imagine they're 10, and imagine they're eight, and imagine they're six and five, and you think, wow, five-year-olds who brutally beat someone up, or four-year-olds who brutally beat someone up, or at some point, you see them as innocent. Like, I mean, you're just like, wait, a a little kid that's three years old that hits someone with a baseball bat and inadvertently kills them. We see them still as innocent. But at what point does a human being stop being innocent? When they're somebody else's child. (laughs) When they're our child, they don't (laughs) stop being innocent. When you think about puberty, between the ages of 10 and 14, and maybe for girls, and between 12 and 16, for boys. And there's a lot of environmental factors, a lot of genetic factors that play a part in puberty. And we also think of puberty as being something that helps determine innocence or guilt, right? Yeah. And then you think of the hormone leptin. The hormone is produced by fat cells, adipocytes, and that has been suggested as one possible mediator of the timing of puberty. So the more fat cells, the more leptin, and the more you start to see the development of puberty. I mean, I was reading this article about this school in L.A., and there is a kid where all the 14, I think they're 14-year-old kid, the kid is seven foot two. He's like a freshman or sophomore in high school. All the other kids look like these little children, and he's seven foot That's two. That's like that, il- what's that illness? No, it's not. I don't think he has... Um, like gigantism or something the, like that. I don't think he has, acrom- I think, acromegaly or acromegaly or whatever yeah. you pronounce it that Lincoln supposedly had. I don't know. He doesn't look like he had that. But he's seven two, And you look at this kid and he, let's say that he committed a crime versus these little tiny kids that are standing beside him coming up to like his <laughs> belt waist. And you would think this kid would definitely be more capable of guilty behavior than these other kids. It reminds me of when I used to go trick-or-treating and I was so much taller and people would say I'm too old to go trick-or-treating. Yeah, but uh, Jennifer. That's the same thing. You were. <laughs> no, no. You I weren't. wasn't. I was like the same age as the other little kids, but they all thought that I shouldn't do it. So I get that. <laughs> 
poor guy. And imagine, I mean, they know that higher concentrations of this hormone leptin is associated with an early, earlier puberty. They've even taken rats, I think, that don't have leptin and they've injected them with leptin and they've gone through puberty. Even these rats, and they've got and so you're got their sexy rat, <laughs> rat, rat pubes on. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so your point is, though, that if you go through puberty, that's when we start changing our opinion on your innocence. I think that there's something to do with that. I think that if we saw some kid that was six four and had you know whiskers. And they were 14 years old versus a little kid that was speaking with a high voice. Speaking with a high voice. And I wonder if this has a racial component because African Americans on average go through puberty earlier than Caucasian Americans. Hmm. But when you look at prefrontal cortex development, which is what helps people set and achieve goals, it helps focus attention predict the consequences of one's actions. It helps us anticipate events in the environment, impulse control, wow. planning for the future, coordinating like I can't do A until B happens. And the, I guess the brain develops pretty much in a back to front pattern. Mm. And the prefrontal cortex is the last portion of the brain to develop. And it doesn't mean that children don't have functional prefrontal cortex. It's just not fully developed. Yeah, they're not developed. So in during adolescence, the brain's network of neurons develops many, many, many more synapses. And these connections create these communications between the parts of the brain. What different parts are there? Okay. So if you look You're at, only talking about the frontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex, cortex, because that's kind of the executive function. Mm -hmm. And people saying, well, you don't have a prefrontal cortex. It really has to do with all of the connections being developed. For example... A 15-year-old can assess hypothetical risk as well as an adult, but their prefrontal cortex may not have grown all these connections with the limbic system. So the part of the brain that provides self-control can't communicate well with the part of the brain that controls maybe flight or flight. Mm -hmm. And so a 15-year-old might act rashly under stress. They technically know better, but they can't control their what they're going to do about what it. they're going to do about it. Yeah. And there's you know, the different parts, there's the medial prefrontal cortex that contributes to attention and motivation. And it's kind of the, it's kind of the metaphorical start button. Yeah. And we know that lesions to this area cause people to become apathetic and unfocused and even have trouble initiating speech. And then there's the orbital prefrontal cortex that what? helps people control their impulses and ignore d distractions. There's a very famous- Squirrel! Study. Squirrel! Squirrel! <laughs> You remember the story of Phineas Gage? It's a very famous... That's a guy that got the... Rod in his yeah, skull. Yeah. Yes, yes. And he, that went through his orbital prefrontal cortex and he became irritable and reckless and he actually was prone to inappropriate crude behavior. And it turns out that other people who've had damage to this orbital prefrontal cortex have also displayed kind of inappropriate hmm. behavior like that. What if like that has that? like d some dementia elements? It totally could. And, you know, we if only we, as a matter of course, looked at criminals' brains, I actually think that we would have a much better handle on how to create a criminal justice system that work for society. Well, We're then we would have to then take into account when like a teenager is being tried as an adult, then we would have to take into account their innocence based on the fact that their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. I mean, we don't even think that most are fully developed until 
kids are 25 years old. And then there's the lateral prefrontal cortex that allows us to create and execute plans. So maybe if you need to follow a recipe and injuries to this region can interfere with interfere with people's ability to switch between tasks. Oh, that's or, ginger. That could be developed and she could get better at that. And particularly- oh, I'm out the guts. I'm out the guts. So much of how we view when someone is no longer innocent is by visual cues. Do they look like someone who should know better? Yeah. To our eyes. Although if the child looks like a 16-year-old but acts like a two-year-old, then we would know. No, because if the crime was abhorrent enough, then... I mean, obviously... If Mental they illness. Like a two, or, you know, or some kind of mental incapacity... Mm-hmm. Or intellectual challenge, you could, but you know, I'm not sure that how many times criminals are given, young criminals are given those kinds. I don't know that they're given that kind of testing to see if they really, I mean, if the crime is bad enough and we are scared enough, I think that we are letting ourselves be driven by fear. And if we took a step back and really thought, okay, when do babies stop being innocent? We're going to see as a society, you're innocent until proven guilty when you are of anything when you're two. But by the time you're three, if you're still biting other kids, mm, four, you're biting, five, you're biting other kids. It's like, okay, now your parents are guilty. (laughs) At some point. (laughs) Always blame the parents. Do you remember when you felt like you were guilty as a parent because of something your kid did? Oh, trying to think. I know Moses did something. (laughs) I just know he did. But I can't think of anything right now. But I'm sure that it happened. Said something mean or... Do you want to hear my list? Yes, I do. When you're talking about innocent or guilty and we're looking at other people, Mm -hmm. there's also another way to look at it. It is when with your own innocence. Like when we lose our own innocence. Exactly. When you lose your own innocence. And there are moments in time that can mark those times that you feel like you've lost some of your innocence. I wonder how those relate to how we perceive other people as being guilty or innocent. It'll be interesting. Go, what's your list? If we know, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people blame certain things like, oh, he had a terrible childhood and things like that. These are those specific moments. Right. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, the One is when you first find out that like Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy, those kinds of things are, are not real. I remember we were told, do not tell your friends that Santa Claus isn't real. Oh, really? We were not allowed to talk about that. And I do remember going over to my friend's house and they were talking about Santa Claus and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, Moses spilled the beans for Gianna. He did? Oh, yeah. And yeah, was, it was pretty bad. Was he in trouble? Oh, yeah. Mary she- was not happy. And I was like, I had to reprimand him a little bit. Well, I remember mom was adamant that if we stopped believing in the tooth fairy, that we would not get money. Oh, yeah. And I remember where I was conflicted because I thought, well, what if I accidentally don't believe in the tooth fairy, but I don't tell her, but we were not allowed to lie to mom. So I was in this conundrum (laughs) and we were at Mardon's hair place and mom, this was her own, you know, this is like her own little humor. There was this really a good friend of mom's that was a hairdresser. He was gay, very, very effeminate. And mom told me, do not <laughs> say anything or tell anyone 
but he is your tooth fairy. <laughs> and I'm sure she just thought, God, this is one of those moments as a parent where I am just laughing and laugh. You know, you, those fun moments where you kind of do that to yourself, like you create these little funny things for yourself to laugh. Maybe she told the other people there. I don't know. She, I think she might have even told him. I think he was probably playing along. I think along. he was in on I it. I think I remember that. But I remember going there and like looking at him and thinking, <laughs> I know. I know who you are. <laughs> You're the tooth fairy. You're the tooth fairy. <laughs> and I remember when I I finally, because we knew that the Easter Bunny was BS. We knew Santa Claus was well, BS. Yeah. <laughs> but we did not know that the tooth fairy. And I would say well into my teen years. Mom, I still. You mom, mean he's not our tooth fairy? <laughs> was he your tooth fairy? Yeah. He was? Oh, yeah. I remember How that. much did you get from it for a tooth? I don't remember. Like, a I quarter? Remember, I got a quarter and everyone else was getting like a dollar. <laughs> mom. That guy at Mardon's was a cheapskate. She said, you complain, you get nothing. Oh, well, there that's good. Go. I think I used to get 10 cents at first, then it went up to a quarter, kind of like my babysitting money. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Okay. The next one is when you you lose your innocence the first time you have to hide a part of yourself because you're afraid of judgment or ridicule. And I remember the first time that I, you know, when we were kids, you'd run around without a shirt. Oh, yes. And I remember the first time I got self-conscious about having my shirt off, we were all playing outside in the street and Brian Marger came out of the house. And for some reason that triggered it. And I ran behind a bush and hid behind a bush until I could get in the house. And, and you never were. You never went around with. I can remember. That was the end. I remember the last time I w went without a shirt. Too. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I really do not remember liking dolls because everyone else played dolls and I always wanted to play with the guys, whatever. But I had my on my bike and I strapped this doll. I was a little self-conscious about having the doll because I wasn't the type of girl that played with dolls. And I remember I was riding on my bike and I was young. So I was like six. And I didn't have a top on. And I don't know if like one of the neighbor dads said something like or someone said something. But I remember feeling super self-conscious and riding home and never going topless again. And I remember mom suggesting because she always wanted us to be free yeah. and not self-conscious. Yeah. And anytime that we were self-conscious, she was critical yes. of our self-consciousness. I mean, outside of being reasonably self-conscious i'm sure if i wandered around at you know 14 without a top she'd be like girl yeah put that on i think it's a luxury to suggest that that is the moment that we lost our innocence when you first discover that the adults in your life make mistakes and i remember mom was reprimanding you and you said something to her and she said i make mistakes too and I remember hearing that, thinking, wow, that, yeah, I guess that's right. She does. She's human. That's right. I bet you, you were old before you finally realized that mom made mistakes because she was Big Bird to you. And well, Big Bird does not make mistakes. <laughs> I would always be in the sidelines listening and listening to me sass. Yeah, you were a sass mouth. I remember when dad went up to see his mom, Babu, our grandma. And she was dying in the hospital and he came back and he got a phone call. And I can picture where I was. I was in the little bathroom and I heard dad cry for the first time. Wow. I had never heard him cry. And I was scared. You know, I had never, I didn't even know, I didn't know men cried. I didn't know, you know, and I remember hiding in the bathroom thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then he must have gotten it together and he came in. But I had a secret that I knew that I had to pretend that I didn't know that dad, that cried. dad cried. And that was huge. Yeah, that makes a big And again, deal. you know, you think about these mind-blowing things to us 
And it really does point to how privileged we were. I mean, really, the trauma that we experienced was so, so innocent relative to what other people experience. And it, I mean, it really does make you realize how lucky, how lucky we were. Do you remember any kind of tragic news story when you were little? Because I, the only thing I can really remember now, just off the cuff, is that is 9-11. But as a kid, was there something that you listened to or saw that affected your innocence? I don't think so. And yet there were a lot of tragic riots and stuff in the late 60s and early 70s, but I would have been too young. The news only was on three channels from X to Y. There wasn't like a 24-hour news cycle. So you couldn't inadvertently come across something on the internet or on, you couldn't turn, listen, you couldn't turn on cartoons and accidentally be on the wrong channel and see something tragic happen. Right. We got the newspaper And if something was on the front page of the newspaper, it was a more innocent time because we were more clueless. We just didn't have the access to information. I mean, I'm preparing for that talk that I'm doing, and I was looking at the data deluge. 90% of all data created in the history of the world was created in the last 24 months. I mean, that's astonishing. Yeah. And that means that we didn't have the possibilities. So if we had grown up in a neighborhood where we saw that kind of stuff, but in suburban Portland, Oregon, I can remember the scariest thing that happened to me was when my dear friend Jimmy Marble died of brain cancer in elementary school. All these really happened when you were young, but this one is when you're a parent. Oh. Yeah. And it's the first time you raise your voice or order a pizza for dinner or let your kids watch TV as as a babysitter. Because before you had kids, you were like, I am never going to do that. I'm always going to have, never going to have them eat sugar. I'm never going to have them watch TV. And now that you actually have the kids, you realize, screw that. I'm going to let them do it. I never said that. Order a pizza? I would never think that. Well, just, you know, like let them eat junk food or we were always so judgmental about other people's parenting. Until you had the kid, your own child. Barkley was crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. And I remember putting him down, turning to Stephen and saying, okay, I want my life back. This sucks. Mm -hmm. I remember that. And I remember an insufferable moment where a bunch of us went to sushi. Barkley was like one years old. And all the parents brought little baggies of Cheerios and those little little goldfish, you know, those little goldfish. Mm -hmm. Or even raisins, even healthy things. And I didn't. And I felt sanctimonious about it because it's like, my kid will eat whatever's on the menu. And if that isn't good enough, then screw him. And so we all sat there and there was sushi and it wasn't the sashimi. So I didn't give him the raw stuff. But he was like, I want sushi. And he could talk really early. So I was very proud that he could articulate and something. Cheerios. And I remember thinking, Stephen and I were the most sanctimonious, proud. We were like the best parents because we taught our kid, you will eat what we provide, when we provide it. And everyone was commenting, oh, look at Barkley. And we just left so proud. God help us if we had only had one child. Because <laughs> we would have thought that it was all on us. Until you had and Dane. Dane. And Dane wasn't horrible by any stretch, but he was not sitting there. With... He liked them Cheerios. <laughs> no, we, we, I still, I was always, <laughs> then I just mooched Cheerios off of other and that's mothers. that's what I did. <laughs> yes. 
had I had one child, that would be totally sanctimonious. Do you remember for yourself? Well, I had Moses first. Oh. <laughs> Mo. More. 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 His first words were. Mo. At what age do you think an average person that you would look at them and say, if you committed any crime, you're guilty? Like, you're old enough at this point, you're guilty. Well, I'm going to cheat and say 25. If I were to look at someone 18. 18? Yeah. What age is someone so old that you would not think that they were guilty of a crime? That they were not guilty? Yeah. They're so old, you might think, did they do that because they had dementia? Oh, oh, okay. 80. There's a sweet spot where we really see people as innocent. And then outside of that range, we go looking for reasons that aren't inherently because they're bad people. We can be bad people between the ages of 18 and 80. And if we took the time to be curious about reasons why with the same curiosity that, you know, 25-year-old, a 30-year-old, and they're just a bad person. If we really look deep inside people's brains, there may be better ways of treating people who we perceive as guilty or innocent. And we may look at it totally differently. Ready for the sort of fact? Yeah. An international study at TPU concluded that the average human loses their innocence at 11 years, nine months, four days, seven hours, three minutes, and 87 seconds. Thanks for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing Curiosity Bitten Conversations, Subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to AppliedCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.